welcome to Furfluencers. I'm your host, Anya Alvarez. And I'm Julia McGinnis. And this is the podcast that goes behind the scenes with some of the most loved animals on the internet. Today, we're sitting down with filmmakers Matthew Sala and Rose Tucker, who produce a documentary, We Don't Deserve Dogs, which explores the simple and extraordinary ways that dogs influence our daily lives gathering stories from Peru, Uganda, Scotland, amongst many other places. So can you first just start off telling a little bit about yourselves and your background and and your filmmaking career? Sure. So um, Matt and I have been working together for about 15, 16 years. We're originally from a, uh, a little town called Adelaide in Australia, which is the accent you're hearing. And we've been in New York for the last six years. Yeah. And, um, uh, we've done all sorts in film for about 15 years, but over the last oh, eight or nine years or so, we really started getting into documentaries, sort of all started with short projects and then moving into bigger projects. And then um, We Don't Deserve Dog is our second film. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the inspiration was for that film and how you guys decided to, to go and make it? Sure. So I think the original inspiration started while we were making our previous film, which was a documentary all about barbecue culture around the world. And as part of that journey, we noticed that everywhere we went, there'd be a dog. Everywhere. Every barbecue has a dog present. (laughs) And so that sort of triggered that kind of idea of this. This is like another global thing that people are really, really excited about and are passionate about. We love dogs. We grew up with dogs in Australia and it just was like a logical next step for us. And for me, I think um, something about documentary for us personally is whenever the subject is about something that excites people, we know we've sort of got a good subject. So when we did barbecue the first time around, you'd tell people you make a film about barbecue, and the, oh, you have to film this, oh, you have to film that. And with this one, it was uh, you would t- say that we're doing a documentary about dogs, and everyone would sort of start sort of pitching their dogs for the <laughs> film. It's like, oh, you need to come and see, come and see Rex. He's amazing. Like, and then we realised just thought it's about the way people talk about their dogs, and I think you know what you learn about people by them describing their dogs and their relationship with their dogs was just sort of this, we sort of had just this infinite pool of, of uh, beautiful storytelling, which as a documentary filmmaker is, is what you look for, I think. D- when, did you have friends pitch their dogs? <laughs> we, did, we had an upstairs neighbor that every time he walked past, he'd be like, star of the next movie, star <laughs> of the next movie. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting is you, you picked two very big topics that make people you know, happy, barbecue and, and dogs, but there's so much to go into there and people have very strong opinions about both. So I don't know, to me, there's a lot of pressure to be able to create a film about either topic. I, I don't know if I would be able to, to navigate that, to be honest. Yeah, well, we, we, we definitely were put to the test, you know, making a film about barbecue. We shot a large portion of it in Texas and then we premiered that film at South by Southwest in Texas so that was the true test of like okay if this audience you know likes the film then we that we've done it right yeah I think <laughs> I think it was a little bit different with we don't deserve dogs because they were such personal stories I think probably the the, the occasional uh, like everyone wants to recommend a breed I think they're always mm-hmm. like oh why didn't you feature this type of dog or that type of dog but I think because it was such a series of personal stories it sort of took the pressure off a little bit I think yeah mm-hmm. And how, you know, when you thought about We Don't Deserve Dogs, what did you feel was sort of the white space that maybe hadn't been explored as much in storytelling? Because I think of 
all the different films about dogs that I've seen from documentaries to your like Hollywood Disney movies and everything we've learned about them. But your film felt like it brought some newness to how we think about dogs in our culture. And I'm curious from your, your perspective, what was that newness? What was that sort of white space you were looking at? Well, you're absolutely right. I think there's so much content about dogs out there, but a lot of it is very light and cute and fun. And we really wanted to take it in a more serious direction. Yeah, and I think, you know, over the last few years, it's, you know, our films take a few years to sort of come to fruition. So we, we'd sort of know, you know, we're not the only person doing that. But I think that for me, it was, um, yeah, getting it away a bit. We sort of kept joking that, like, we kept thinking of, like, how often it's just kids' films. You know, <laughs> like like 10 years ago, if it was like dogs playing basketball and, you know, you know things like that. And then, you know, when, but when we when we spoke to people, be they friends, be they when we started researching the film, there's just this such deep emotional connection people have with their dogs. And, you know, it was so strange for us making this film before the pandemic hit. And then we were already sort of examining these sort of lonesome and solitude, solitary kind of relationships people have with their pets. And then the pandemic hit and then people needed to really rely on that as sort of like a, a life force to keep them going through a tough time. So um, to be able to explore that in, and, and in all those different, you know, cultural contexts for us, it's always this thing about as Westerners, you know, as Australians living in America, we have, you know, we have a perception of what we think having a pet is like. But then when you go to somewhere like Uganda and you realise that like, oh, wow, this is literally saving people's lives and their souls, you know, it just to see it in slightly different interpretations is, was really important to us, I think. Yeah, I'm curious how you started sourcing the stories. What was that process like to find the people and the dogs that you wanted to follow? It all starts with Googling, to be honest. <laughs> um, so we would just keep an eye out for amazing dog stories online or, you know, we would troll Instagram, things like that. Um, and we would get ideas for stories, but then the most important thing we did was hire local researchers in every location. And so we would find people who lived in those communities and we would ask them a bunch of questions to find out whether the thing we read about online is even a, you know, a thing. And then we'd send those people out into their communities to find us, you know, people we could talk to. And they did a really, really good job. <laughs> And when you, when you went to these places to interview these people after you've narrowed down who you wanted to, to talk with, did you find overall that the people were really excited to share their stories about their relationships with their animals? Oh, hugely excited. I, I mean, instantly coming to mind is that like, the girls in Peru were so excited to, to show us their dogs and show us the kind of life that they give their dogs. Um, no, very, very, very excited. Um, but even in, in more traditional cultures, like uh, in Romania, you know, they, these people weren't used to being on camera, but they were incredibly excited to share this, this culture of how they work with, dog, uh, work with dogs in caring for their animals and their sheep and were very, very excited to show this very traditional way of life. So, yeah, on both ends of the spectrum, people were very keen to be involved. Yeah, and like Rosie said, we sort of, because mainly because of uh, language um, differences, we would work with researchers and translators, but I think one of the ones that was maybe a bit more liberating for us was when we went to Scotland to film the dogs in the pub, because the way we, that one we were a bit freer because we can speak English, and, and so um, we, with that one, we actually just did a huge road trip around England, a bit of an excuse for a road trip around England, and we would, 
visit all these different pubs from the south to the north, just 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 asking people about their dogs. And we turn up at the uh, in Peebles on the on the border between Scotland and England. Uh, we turn up at this pub, and there's and you know the, the pubs open like at eleven a.m. So that's always a good <laughs> sign uh, that it's a real local pub. And and we we asked we are they asked us, oh, what are you doing traveling around? It's like oh. We're shooting a little documentary about people and their dogs. They're like, oh, better talk to Alan then. And then before you knew it, uh, we're, we're filming. So, yeah, you know, like... Next I th thing you know, the pub puts the call out on their Facebook page. Hey, we've got a film crew here. Everyone come come to the pub on Sunday with your dogs. And everyone's and, like, and all right then. <laughs> so, yeah, I think just, you know, we're, we're really fortunate that I think maybe the stories we we choose and the, and the places we choose to film, we get this real openness from the community, a pride in people's culture, and then people just you know, want to, want to reflect or want to show their part of the world to us. And I, you know, I think it's great. I have to say the, um, the pub and pups trip is like my dream vacation come true. <laughs> like I can't imagine anything better than being in a pub at 11 AM with some, some puppers. That sounds just incredible. <laughs> um, as you start to gather these stories, so you had the ability to do all of this research in advance and as storylines started to pop out, in your heads, how much of this, the film had started to come together already? And then how much of the film really came together once you were actually with these people in filming? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting when you saw, when we sort of, we sort of always say that we have a bit of a hypothesis going into a film and then we sort of test that hypothesis. And, and so, you know, for us, it was this, this idea that the way that, um, the the way that we care for dogs and the way you know it's all in the title we don't deserve dogs it has sort of multiple meanings and it and it and it sort of strikes at the fact that you know these dogs are looking at us as as, as human beings and asking you know what 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 do we do to bring good into the world and that was sort of where we started it and then we're like well you know that's the hypothesis and then we're going to go meet people from all around the world and learn their stories and learn how their dogs care about them and they care for their dogs and i think it was sort of the process from researching it through to filming it, then editing it was just reinforcing that. And I think it was really wonderful to have our sort of worldviews confirmed through the film, if that makes sense. The opening scene with Calisco and, and Ruscio. And for those who haven't seen the film, it's a dog that is living a, a triple life <laughs> where it's a, it's a street dog. And I forget which country... Uh, Chile, uh, yes, it was Chile, Chino, yeah. Chino, Rusio, and Colosso, and Colosso uh, yeah. were his three names. Yes, yeah, that's right. It's in Santiago, and, Chile. Yeah, and just, and that was the three names we know of. There's probably yeah. more. <laughs> <laughs> But that was that, a great one. Yeah, he he was definitely one of our one of our favorites. There's a reason we opened the film with his story because it's just such a beautiful. He's a great dog, such personality, but just the way the community gathers around this dog, like he really brings people together. And we thought mm -hmm. that was a lovely way to start the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you got me crying within the first three minutes of the film, and I'm just sitting there. <laughs> grabbing onto my dog petting her and I mean I I don't think I've ever held on to my dog as tightly as I did while watching something because <laughs> I it, every story just made me appreciate her more I felt like because the I, I think you really did such a good job in this film with touching on the human connection that we have with animals and with dogs in particular and the importance and value and the things that they give us. And and I often wonder for myself, like, what am I doing for her outside of just like giving her food and shelter and petting her and taking for a walk, taking her for walks? I feel like she gives me 
so much more on a day-to-day basis than I could ever possibly give her. The good news is he's still going strong. So we, we stay in touch on Instagram and he's actually been uh, officially adopted now by uh, one of the ladies in the film. Um, but the condition was that she wanted to make sure that if someone did adopt him, uh, that he would always be allowed to continue to roam the neighborhood because she didn't want to stop him from doing his thing and seeing all his friends. Uh, so he still lives his life on the street, but he has somewhere to come home at the end of the night, which is really nice. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and it's, I mean, to me, it's also one of the interesting things that your film did was drive home the point that these dogs can be, they can have a very powerful relationship one-on-one with a person. If we think about some of the uh, survivors of genocide and being able to have a dog, and that is the one thing that you can trust and connect to and is there for you. I think, think what, what was the line? You know, dogs don't, don't point fingers. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think what really I mean, struck that's me, so powerful. I think what struck me in Uganda was, um, so to explain, um, uh, the people we spoke to were victims of, um, being uh, child soldiers, which is about the most horrible thing human beings can do to one another because the, 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 uh, the trauma is compounding because not only are they forced to be soldiers at a young age, which is, horrific in itself but then when they return to the community years later there's this sort of stigma attached to them because they're often perceived as being the bad person now, we should point out they were forced to fight against okay. their own communities yeah. so then they have to return to these communities where they were seen as the enemy and so they were having trouble um, um, becoming part of their community again over years and decades. And then um, a, a lot of the dogs in the area were sort of street dogs that didn't have a home or community. And this sort of uh, way that they both help each other, I think, was really amazing. And like you said, you know, what really struck us was how these dogs are sort of like, they, they just don't see any, they don't know any of this, of course. And all they, they're, they're just ready to give love. They're just ready, you know, to, and then these people were ready to take that love and so it was just this sort of really beautiful thing where I think it really just makes you think on a really heightened level of what that relationship can be because and and you know people don't traditionally keep dogs in these communities so for them it was this almost novel concept I think Lucy says mm. you know a line that has really struck with Rosie and me during this which is uh I didn't know that dogs could be trained to be your friend and I think that says a lot to like that's like a whole different perspective that, that we take for granted because we've come from generations of dog owners where we're just sort of oh yeah no they'll love you but then and for people who have been denied that love for so many decades to go like, oh, I can have this. Yeah, it was very, it was very emotional. Yeah, I, I am curious after filming this, how it changed your relationships to dogs and, and what was the thing that you learned that you didn't think that you needed to learn about dogs? Oh, good question. I think Matt got to see a lot. From, where, from his perspective from where he was filming, he was down at dog level a lot of the time. And I think you got to sort of really look at... Yeah, one, one thing was interesting. Yeah, so because so I shot the film and, and as a result, I was pretty much like crawling along the ground all the time for like a year straight. And and just seeing the world from their perspective and just sort of like seeing them. And, and, and our, our camera has a curious way of seeing things that other people aren't noticing. I remember with um, uh, the the story at the end of um, Val, yeah. Val and Major and she had sort of like taken in this dog that had been abused and and, and was, uh, uh, you know, getting her ready to be re-fostered. And she didn't know this, but Major was always staring. You know, she'd just be having a pint at the pub and Major would just be quietly staring lovingly at oh, her. Oh, yeah. I he, remember... he would just stare at her for, like, minutes on end and, and we, put it, we put the shot in the film and Val... Uh, 
told me afterwards, she's like, I saw that shot of him just looking at me and she's like, I burst into tears. Because she didn't know that. She didn't know, she didn't, you know, like we don't look down at them all the time. And so like that yeah. we don't realise that they've just sort of got their eye on us all the time. Yeah. So that was probably one thing. And now I see that everywhere. Now mm. if I, now if I'm just like sitting on a park bench and walk a dog, watch a dog go by, I sort of look at what they're looking at and I sort of watch, they're keeping an eye on all of us, I think. <laughs> Well, yesterday I was funny. I was I was working and I, I have a mirror right next to my desk and I turned and I looked at my mirror and I saw the reflection of my dog just sitting on the floor, staring up, looking at me, just staring. <laughs> I was like, what are you looking at? I'm just working. And she just was staring the whole time. Didn't, yeah. didn't lose focus at all. Um, and, and as far as just like outside of being able to see their you know, kind of looking through their lens of how they're viewing the world. Is there anything else that you took away from from filming this that you feel like changed you and how you have a relationship with an animal and how they, yeah, I guess how how you feel about them in your day to day lives? And do you, and do you have dogs, by the way? Oh, I wish we did. So we, we rent a very small apartment and we're not allowed to have pets in the building. And on top of which, with our travel all the time, we figured, yeah. it's, you know, yes. we can barely keep a houseplant going at the moment with it when we travel. So yeah, but we, we are live vicarious. Living in Park Slope is very good because there's about, you know, you walk past about a thousand dogs, you know, every day that you're out on the street. So we live vicariously through. Yeah, others. but in, to answer your question, it, I think making the film made me, made me feel jealous. It made me miss having a dog big time. Like I grew up with dogs. We always had Labradors when I was little. And uh, and seeing the love that people have and these relationships they have, it made me realise that's something I'm missing. So it's definitely something I'm going to have to rectify in the next, next few years, hopefully. Yeah, and I think something that probably affected me was just seeing the different ways in which people express their, their, their love for their dogs and that, that reflection. You know, like in, in, in Peru where... Uh, you know, people have these huge parties for their dogs and dress them up. And then in Romania, where some very serious shepherds will just sort of like, you know, like give them a pat on the back once in a while. So I think there's all these different ways that people can express love. And sometimes, sometimes it might not even look like there's a, a much of a relationship there. But, you know, the camera sees all. And I think it's sort of, you know, there were some pretty tough, you know, some pretty tough guys in the film that sort of like you start to realise actually have these hearts of gold. And mm. I think just seeing it through that lens just sort of made me always think, yeah, <laughs> it wants a softie on the inside. <laughs> Animals are such a good vehicle for people who maybe find it different, difficult to express emotion you know, articulate it to say things that are emotional out loud, but they can express it physically, you know, through their, their interactions with animals. And I felt that that really came through, you know, in the film too. Anya had asked if making this film had affected you. And I'm curious if your presence and having the camera there and maybe the way you were responding to some of the scenes that you were encountering, responding to some of the characters, did your presence change anybody's relationship with with their dogs during the course of you know making this film yeah good good question we thought it would you know like they, mm -hmm. there's that old joke never film with kids or animals mm -hmm. and so we were really worried before we started of like are these dogs just going to keep i was actually surprised almost in the opposite of how quickly dogs just accept that you're like it's like there's this you know i mean we're pretty incognito we're sort of we disappear into the bushes a bit when we when we're filming but i was really shocked about how like a dog would go what on earth is and already they don't care already yeah. that just back <laughs> back to life my favorite was chino the, um, oh, from yeah. the first story 
he honestly didn't care that we he had he had like he would sort of like go roaming around town and he had some sort of internal timetable in his head <laughs> that we could never work out and we just sort of sit there with him in the park till about two in the morning and just quietly and then he'd go like no no I'm due at the uh, I'm due at the pub now I'm due at the bar so then up he'd go and he'd sort of he wouldn't even check to see if we were following he just off he'd go so yeah <laughs> yeah we, we do try and sort of hide and blend in and we, we sort of like to get to know people a little bit before we even pull out the cameras so I I, I mean it would be there's obviously an impact having a film crew there from the people's perspective I, like I know that if I had a camera pointed at me I would probably behave slightly differently but I think the environments that we that we were filming, people were able to forget that we were there. So, you know, if you're at a birthday party for your dog in Peru and there's a hundred Maltese dogs... You haven't got uh, time for a film crew. You're not, you're not worrying about the film crew anymore. So, <laughs> Or if you're herding 7,000 sheep or something. Exactly. Or you're hunting for truffles in Italy. You know, you've got a job to do. So, you know, I like to think that, that people sort of would forget we were there. Um, but then obviously we would sit people down and have problem, you know, we do the observational stuff, but we would also interview them for, you know, an hour or two hours and, and really try and get their stories out. So I feel like we got to know people really well that way. It sounds like dogs are really good subjects to follow, though, for the most part, because they don't care. <laughs> they just kind of go do their own thing. So they get a little bit more comfortable more quickly. Absolutely. And <laughs> honestly, people are more comfortable when their dog is with them. Like even yeah. when people, we were interviewing people, look at the, the girls in Uganda. They're sitting there with the dogs literally with them the whole time. Yeah. But then it's mirrored at the end of the film with Val and Major in a very you know comfortable life in Scotland. But the same thing, she's holding on to major and he's giving her the confidence to tell her story so it's interesting to see completely different backgrounds and people but that that same connection is happening live on camera <laughs> i i travel with my dog most of the time even if i'm traveling for work and i definitely feel like one i'm a better person when i'm with her so if like if there's any frustrations or annoyance that i'm feeling while i'm traveling I just look down at her, I pet her, and then I feel fine, and I feel like I can power through whatever annoying thing that I'm dealing with. Um, and I feel like I'm nicer to people, too, because I'm like, all right, I have this mantra in my head, be the person your dog thinks you are. Like, <laughs> don't do anything that's going to embarrass her. Don't do anything that's going to make her ashamed. And also, there's just, I don't know, she... I feel like she brings out the better parts of me that I didn't even realize were there. Um, and so that's really interesting to hear that you feel like the dogs facilitated the storytelling and this with, for the owners. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And I know a lot of the people we were filming with talked about how the dogs helped them so much socially. So um, I know like Carla, Carla yeah. one of the girls we filmed with in Peru who was, you know, highly socially anxious and wouldn't leave her room her hair was falling out and then she got the puppy and suddenly she had you know she had to look after the dog and she had to take the dog on walks and next thing you know she's you know talking to people getting back out into the community and meeting up with her friends again and it's just like that the dog facilitated all of that and without that reason to get out and about she would just be still shut mm. in her room probably mm. yeah I, I i got my dog during the pandemic and um you know, I think in many ways she helped me get through the the most trying of times. But she has enhanced my life in ways that I didn't even realize was possible. 
And even just like yesterday, even though the weather was really crappy and it was cold and there was hail, little tiny pieces of hail coming down, most days I would have just stayed inside all day. And I was like, all right, I got to take this dog out. She's relying on me. And we walked around for a little bit and I felt I felt better. Like it, it kickstarted my day. And even though I was freezing afterwards, it felt better just to be out there with her. And I think too, the the feeling of like I knew that I was doing something good for her and that she was happy and and well taken care of. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But and and, and you feel better as well. It's win win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of all the stories that you encountered, all the dogs that you met, all the people that you met. Who surprised you the most? Like, who did you go into that scene having maybe one idea of what was going to happen? You came out of it and it was like, art? That is not what we were expecting. I think the most surprising character has to be Beanish in Pakistan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so she's in Karachi, Pakistan, where um, it's a Muslim population, which means people don't keep dogs as pets. It's against their religion. Uh, she's a Muslim woman. Um, and she came across her a dog injured on the street, took him in, brought him back to health, fell in love with him and has refused to give him up. Much to the chagrin of all her family and friends who tell her, you can't keep the dog, you're a bad Muslim, you know, this is terrible that you have this dog. And so we knew that was the backstory, but I think getting like meeting her and just having her tell her own story, uh, it was so surprising to I think for me to see a woman living in this place who was willing to be this out there and brave, and she just did not care what other people think. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I, to me the the um, the way that she you know she, for her being a devout Muslim. And that, you know, some people say you shouldn't keep a dog as a pet. But she she had her own interpretation of her religion's words. She interpreted it as being kind to others. She interpreted it as taking care of, of all of God's creatures in her mind. And so, like, the fact that she had reinterpreted it in this way, it's not like she turned her back to her religion, you know. Um, and so, so that's... Because we didn't really know much when we before we met with her. I was like, oh, she's a person in a Muslim country who has a dog. I assume she's turned away from her religion. But she built it into her religion to sort of find uh, a more spiritual connection to her dog. And that re- that was not what we... That's not what I had expected going in. And uh, yeah, I mean, Beanish was just very impressive on many levels, I think. Just sort of... The way, the way she didn't care about what anyone thought about. I remember when we would film with her um, um, walking Sheru around and, and, and heads would turn because like, like, like women don't have dogs and women dress more modestly often in 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 uh, and they don't walk alone really there either i've been to pakistan before and it's very rare that you see a woman Mm. alone yeah um, Yeah. traveling on her own yeah i mean we've got footage of like literally every person that she walks past down the street is stopped has stopped and is staring at her because (laughs) this is really strange (laughs) a strange thing to see yeah Yeah. to to see someone so rebellious in that environment was 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 pretty cool I <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of the other story of the woman whose mom didn't let her get a dog growing up because her mom had experienced such deep trauma when she had lost her dog as a child and didn't want to go through that again then this woman gets a dog later on in her life like for the first time in her 30s she has a closet that is way more organized than mine is with all of her cute little outfits for her dog um and she really 
you know, viewed this dog, it seemed like, as a child. Um, and, you know, I really resonated with, with her story because I, I personally don't have the desire to have children and I view my dog as my child. I sometimes feel like there's judgment on that end when I tell people that who have children where they're like, the, it's not the same thing. And I know from a day-to-day -day responsibility standpoint, it's not the same thing, but I can't imagine loving anything more the, the way that I love my dog. With the knowing that one day uh, she will no longer be there with me and I want to cherish every moment that I can with her. And I think it's it's interesting in the way that we view love as humans that it's we can only fully express love to other humans, it seems, or that's the way that people think that love can be expressed. But I feel like I fully express my love to my dog the same way that I do with close friends and family. Yeah, it was very interesting seeing it within the context of Peru where, where Viviana was because mm. um, it was interesting because there was a sort of this expectation that you live with your parents until you get married. So Viviana, who's, you know, in her 30s, uh, is bucking the trend, you know, she's still living at home uh, and instead of doing the husband and kids thing, she has, she has me. <laughs> and, and, and we were learning as well, but that a lot of people like, it's, it's sort of like that, that sort of little bit of a trend towards having, having a dog instead of having kids maybe has a much more pr profound impact in Peru because it means you're kind of living with your parents for a lot longer. And so that's why there's a, we, we, there's not just a lot of like, um, parents of dogs but a lot of grandparents as well so it was, yeah. i think i think i think viviana's mum maybe was hoping for a kid somewhere along the line but she'll accept ming instead which yeah. i've always quite, you know she's moving with the times a bit that's it <laughs> well, i think that like, we're all aware of the pressures here around the you know family and having kids and whatnot and uh, the, the pressure the pressure it, yes. there times 10 <laughs> right right well and it, it felt like a general theme throughout the the film between the woman in pakistan and then the woman in peru viviana and and them talking about almost like the dog has freed them to really be who they want to be. Like Viviana was talking about like it, all the judgment that people may have about me, I don't feel it and it just rolls off my back because I have her. So I don't worry about what other people think because the only thing that I care about is my dog's opinion. Yeah, and I think it also goes two ways because it's almost like them, uh, you know, like, you know, you see these sort of, tropes of people that like lavish way too much and love and attention on their dogs and at first we thought oh that's funny that's cute let's let's go film that but then to realize no this is a way in which she is able to like walk down the street with her dog in her dress going like i don't care what anyone else thinks it, yeah the fact that it was this sort of freeing like i don't care about like what any yeah it was yeah it, it was a perfect example of how what we think we know about a scene you know a hundred people and their maltese dogs dressed up at a party but no that's this some um, some sort of strange like way to liberate from yeah. you know societal norms is not what you expect <laughs> when you when you were finished with this film and uh, you know after following all these different stories did it reaffirm your belief that we don't deserve dogs <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i don't know whether we can take it literally or not because i think all the people in our film are great people and they definitely do deserve dogs do people as a whole deserve dogs i think, Probably, I think yeah yeah I, yeah it kind of was <laughs> yeah. like people people like like deserve dogs but it's it's something that we should never take for granted we should never take for granted that that they're like they're, i think what got to me i'll put it like this is their a dog's love for their owner is automatic but we should never take that for granted. Yeah. We should always be striving to be the person your dog thinks you we, are. We use that quote in quite a lot of our, uh, 
discussions on it. Discussions yeah. early on, yeah. Yeah. Well, this this was incredible. I I've been telling everyone about your film after watching it and saying you you have to watch this. I do warn them that it is very emotional. It it to me it, it I've I think I've watched pretty much every film or movie that has been made about dogs and I feel like this is the one that touched me the most um because I think it hit on so many different layers of how dogs just you know, can change our lives or an important part of our lives. And it was really fascinating too, to see it, you know, obviously through the lens of different cultures of how people have relationships with dogs. And I, I honestly, it took me about a little over three hours to watch your film because I would have to pause it and I'd cry and be like, Oh my God, it's so emotional. And then I'd watch it again. And, but it, it was so well done. And I mean, from just the storytelling and the cinematography too, it was just an amazing film, and I, I I hope that it gets the love and press and publicity that it deserves. Oh, thank you so much. Thank That's you. exactly the kind of reaction we were hoping for. So, so yeah, no, it, it's been it is it has been really wonderful to hear how it's resonated with with people and and yeah yeah. And thanks for the kind words on the cinematography as well. It's all Matt. And and honestly, we, we do this just the truly. It's too. very good. We're out, it's a little tiny camera that you fit in the backpack. I record the sound, and so we're just out there with the two of us. And it's really nice to then actually come and you know share it with the world and have people. Uh, tell us they like what we did so thank you all right that was fantastic that was that was oh my gosh uh i am so jealous that they got to make this film like <laughs> i would have loved to have been on to have traveled around the world with them to to be part of the storytelling because it was I mean, like I said, for those who haven't seen the film, it really is one of the most touching films in general, ir irrespective of it just being about dogs. It, it really just hits you in certain places emotionally that I don't even think you realize are <laughs> is possible, at least for me. But I'm also a very emotional person. And I think they really did do a nice job of bringing in, as they said, some of the more serious less fun, less silly aspects of our relationships with dogs. And they, they brought them into the film, but they didn't make it feel like, I don't know, like one of these news type documentaries, like we're gonna show you this troubling thing, but they did it through characters, which is even, to me, has an even bigger impact you know, on me as an audience member when there's a character, there's a story that's wrapped up in the issue or the topic. It, it just makes for way more compelling storytelling than sort of these like shock, you know, shock and show docs that you'll see in like stupid news outlets. Yeah, and I mean, I think particularly in social media, what we see for the most part on social is animals being silly and funny and, and you'll see heartwarming stories on there for sure. But I think this just took it to another level that we, I haven't experienced before within storytelling within this space and you know for people who haven't seen it I, I watch it on Amazon Prime I believe it's on iTunes but you can rent it online and watch it and you definitely should take the time to do it make sure you have a box of tissues next to you if you do have a dog and they're emo your emotional support animal watch it with them as well because you might need it <laughs> you'll need it and you know hey make a cocktail as well celebrate these pups because they're for influencers, you know, in a different way than maybe we've 
it, we've spoken about you know on the podcast, but they are having a big influence on the lives of the people who they're with, and you know on our lives culturally as well. And we can't forget. Well, there's that. a trickle down effect with that, right? So if if this dog is influencing you in terms of if they're helping you emotionally or helping you be a better person, that starts reflecting in other parts of your life in terms of your relationships with other people, maybe your job. I mean, it, 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 it's a trickle down effect. It's not just you that it ends up impacting. It ends up impacting the world around you that you touch. So, I mean, they are fur fluencers and to the greatest extent, in my opinion. I really like how you said that. And you something that um, uh, my husband Josh said to me as it relates to our dog, Smudge once really stuck with me. You know, I was annoyed with Smudge about something. And he goes, well, look, you know, we're his whole world. Like this is the only perspective that he has. And even sometimes when I've been in conversations now with people about different things, whether it's work or we're talking about something in the news, I have this in the back of my head now that, you know, somebody's going to have a, a a perspective that is just influenced by who they are and what they know. And I just need to be considerate of that. And it's like the weirdest connection I'm trying to draw here, but it, it really stayed with me. And it's like, yeah, like we're his whole world. This is all he knows. And, you know, everybody's going to have those sort of limitations to their experiences. And that's how they're going to filter, you know, information and, and interact with me. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. And if you all want to continue hearing interviews like this and want to support us in our cause to bring you the best fur fluencer stories, uh, you can support us on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram at the Furfluencers. Also on TikTok at the Furfluencers. So you can keep up to date when episodes will be coming out. Uh, make sure that you rate the podcast too and show us some love on there so that we can bump up on the algorithm so that more people can uh, get access to this content. Anya, that was so good that I'm going to support our Patreon just because you did the best ending ever. <laughs> I'm going to support our Patreon. <laughs> I need Ruthie to support it too. <laughs> we'll send her to the geese. She's going to be our number one supporter. Yeah. <laughs> this was awesome, Thank Anya. Thank you so much for, for introducing we don't deserve dogs to um, to me and to our audiences. And yeah, excited to get back at it with you in a couple days. Yeah, same. Thanks everyone for tuning in.